Hello and welcome to the TetraCast, RPG Sites almost certainly weekly podcast. How about that? Hey. Wave up. All right, Wave this up. is a cool. Yes. I was deciding whether how to open this podcast for all of you today. Um, it's going to be a bit of a, it's been a busy week, but it might be a smaller cast because I am your host, Brian Vitale, and I've just got two guests with me today. We've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. Two is all you need. And we have Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. So uh, we have some of our other regulars. Josh Torres is in the middle of playing a Gundam Maxi Boost, something like that closed beta i don't know what it actually is but it's one of those giant robot games and then uh james <laughs> is james is i think sleeping so he might join it later but no promises because i don't know his sleep schedule i i think james if you've been listening to the cast he's been playing final fantasy 14 to the early hours of the morning i'm gonna assume he did that once again and didn't wake up in time all right so obviously, uh, we had Trials of Mana just released yesterday. We obviously put up the review in the middle of last week. So George, will, I'm, I'm certain we'll talk about that. We obviously have oh, sure. Sakura Wars releasing in a couple days. And, you know, we still have people working through Final Fantasy and uh, maybe even through Persona, just because that one's, you know, a long, long game. So we're, this is finally like the meat part of the year and for terms of, especially, at least for um, JRPGs. It's JRPGs or, or Fallout 76, if any <laughs> one person's playing that. Oof. So uh, I guess I'll just go right into it. Obviously, the topic of the week is pretty much going to center around Trials of Mana, which both George and Adam have played. So I guess I'll hand it off to George first, because you reviewed the game. You gave it a pretty strong score with just a few... Uh, criticisms so i'll just let you talk about what your experience was with trials of mana if you've played anything in the series before etc just what do you think about it fantastic um so i gave it an eight out of ten uh and i, I think review scores can be a bit funny anyway but i the the general message of that is very very good game i've never actually played any of the mana games before but it's it's one of those series that you hear about all the time um I mentioned in my review that if if you're talking about greatest JRPGs of all time, then Trials of Mana is one of those that always comes up. So of course I was aware of the series, um, but it never. It, this is going to sound ignorant, but it never struck me to try it. So I was always just there, like ah, oh, you know, maybe one day. And then the collection well, to, came out. To be fair, uh, before the collection, there had not been very many Mana games in recent years. There was like two on DS. Neither of them were very good. And then there is the Secret of Mana remake, which is, again, a remake of, like, a 28-year-old game or whatever it was um, when it came out. And that wasn't very good either. So I don't, I don't really blame you for not having tried the series because there hasn't really been a good game in it in a long time. I'd heard about I, I do want to contextualize your... One second. I do want to contextualize your eight a bit. Uh, so according to the RPG site, you know, review score rating system. And eight is the high quality experience, a great example of what gaming can be, but with some caveats and shortcomings attached. So when we say eight, we do mean that the game can be great and even in large ways can be great. So I'd say that description would definitely uh, fit very well with Charles of Manor. I came away from it uh, really happy with the experience and I wanted to jump straight back into the world. Um, it's definitely not, 
a per- I, I don't think I could think of any games that are a perfect experience, air quotes, but it is very good. Um, and it's such a good time for JRPG fans. Like you've got Persona, you've got uh, Trials of Mana, you've got Final Fantasy. There's just so much out there. Uh, and if you didn't read my review, then I played as Duran, Hawkeye, and Kevin. And Kevin was absolutely the best boy in the game. Uh, I'm, a, I'm Kevin a Kevin again? stan now. Kevin's the, the beast boy. I, I, I even made a pun oh. about it in my review. He's amazing. I, I just gave up that I haven't read it yet. But for, for whatever reason, in, wow. the, uh, okay. in the pre-release trailers, I get Kevin and Duran like, mixed up. Like I keep conflating them. Or two of the characters I do. Duran is the boring one. Sorry, Duran oh, okay. fans. <laughs> but that actually brings me to, to a pretty big... I, I don't want to start off with a complaint because it is a really, really good game. But I, I the, the biggest complaint I have... Um, is the voice acting and that sounds like a really stupid thing to jump straight in on but it is so off-putting at times like it, it's it's just so ranged like the characters are, are quite well written I think so if you're just reading the text you can get a good idea of it but the voice acting makes it feel really budgety so even though Kevin is my favorite character like he, he's he's like the second worst one the, the worst one is Charlotte um, and if you've seen the trailers or even just Google Trials of Manor, I'm sure you've seen people complain about it. She has a, a really distinct way of speaking. Like, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a stutter. Uh, what, what word am I thinking of? Either way, it doesn't matter. But she has a, a way of speaking that's really childish and it's really emphasized. So it's, it, it's it like a baby the, talk. Baby, yeah, that's, that's a good way of saying it baby talk. And it, but the I thing do is, want to play it up because it is that bad. I was watching some of the trailers for it, and obviously we're speaking about the English voice acting here. Um, but I was listening to some of the, the trailer for the different character interactions, and you can kind of tell it's voiced by an adult woman trying to sound like a, a babyish child. It just comes off really Yeah, really same weird. for English. And it's just, I think and over the last... much better for any of them in Japan. Really? Um, it, I think over the last like 10 or 15 years... The quality of English voice acting has just kind of slowly ramped up on average. So when we have a game like this, that just really kind of feels almost nostalgically bad, like an like an early nineties yeah, sort of that's dub. It. It's just like, oh, I remember when all English dubs sound like this. Uh, and I normally am a big apologist for English voice acting, but even when I look at trailers of this, like maybe I would just play a Japanese. And they're just being yeah. And the weird thing is, is that some of the voice actors they got, well, maybe not weird, but interesting. Some of the voice actors they got have done good work before. Like, for instance, the voice of Claire in the Resident Evil 2 remake is the voice of Fairy. Um, I thought that sounded familiar. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Um, but there, there are, so I played a good 10 hours of the game already. Um, I just pretty much played it from launch. And there are definitely some moments where it's very clear that the direction, the voice direction that the game got was not great. And here's just one easy example. There's one scene where like a villainous character is warping away. And so Duran or whoever your main character is, my character was Duran. I just started with him first. Is basically yelling at her to stop, you know, like uh, it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a yellow desperation, like get back here sort of thing. So you expect it to sound like stop or something like that. 
but he <laughs> he instead says something. He instead says it like he's like berating a child to like stop drawing on the wall or something. He's just like stop. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's like he like clearly didn't know like what the what the, what the context of the scene was, and it just it 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 makes it it seems so weird. And there are other examples, but that was just kind of the easiest one where it's it just clearly they did not have any idea where their characters were or what they were actually doing as they were voicing these lines, and you hear well, it like, everywhere. Square Enix hire Adam for one. Like after that performance, I think you you can be in the next game they make. But the reason why it's such a, a big complaint for me... So it's it's weird because, like Adam said, there are, I think it's more a thing of direction because they're, they're all... It's, it's only ever for a few characters that, that it's bad. Um, none of them are ever great, though. It's just sort of middling throughout. And I think because we've had games like even Final Fantasy very recently that are so well acted and rely on their characters so much, I think it's just kind of a... It's it's just a shame, really, um, and I can see why people who are just looking at the trailers or haven't paid much attention might look at that and go, "Oh, well, this is a cheap game that's not worth my time," and that's absolutely not the case because it is fantastic. Yeah, it does kind of come across like cheap, where we don't even really know. Like, we have nothing to really substantiate that other than, "Oh, the dub's not as good as we've become expected to," so therefore the game is a low effort product. But we don't really know that. But that's just kind of when that's when this is the performances they put forward it's hard not to think that but maybe maybe let's just try to be more positive i don't know like we, we started well, out with let me let me like, just mention yeah. one other thing i think one thing that doesn't help is that like the animations in the game are not fantastic they're kind of robotic they kind of feel not incredibly fluid and same thing with like like facial animations as well is it's a simplified game and that's part of the art style, but I also think it makes the voice voice performance actually more important. But like the 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 uh, the animation and the facial animations and things like that are certainly not doing the voice acting any favors because it you're, you're relying more on the voice and like what the character is uh, like physically doing in in delivering lines. And yeah, so it's, I, it it I think it, that doesn't it kind of compounds the problem. I would completely agree and. That's actually a good point because I didn't. I don't think I even mentioned that in my review, but it's something that I kept meaning to, like, put a note on my phone saying, "Oh, mention animation," because uh, if you have it how the game wants you to have it, where you've got a certain set of characters, then you probably won't notice. But because I had the boy squad, which which is now what I'm officially calling them, I guess the boy squad, <laughs> they all have the same walking animation, so they there'd be like a big dramatic scene where they they walk into face a boss and they're all just doing the same walk. With the same blank expression, and every time I was like, "Oh, I should probably mention that." That's a bit weird, but so it just does it. Oh. Does it kind of feel like like a PS3 game? And I'm not saying that like as a pejorative or whatever, but it just feels like a game from a generation ago, maybe. Oh, only in those like certain elements. Like everything else is is really like well done. Like re the world looks really good. The, the environments are a bit empty sometimes, but the gra the graphics overall are really good. The music's good. It is just those little, little like niggles. Yeah, voice acting and maybe character animation. So, what's one yeah. thing about Trials of Mana that you actually like really took to and you thought it did really well? The combat, for sure. Uh, it's how does it work? Just kind of describe it as if I haven't seen a trailer, because that might be true. <laughs> so it's not like a turn-based uh, 
RPG. It's, it's you you press the buttons, you attack in real time, uh, and it's it's kind of hard to describe because it's quite it is so simple. So you are just pressing um, square and triangle to do a light and heavy attack, and then you can roll away. But you've also got specific character moves. So if you hold down R1 and then press a button, you'll do a special move, and then that charges up once you've hit enough enemies and got enough. I don't know what they they call it in the game, but that it's like a bar that goes up. Do you know the name, Adam? You know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the official name. It's like charge bar or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, but Brian, the game that I would say is most similar to that I know you've played, but maybe not to get the wrong impression, but it's it's actually kind of like East Eight, where you're moving in real time. You have your main character that you're controlling. You have two people, two your other two party members, kind of following you and trailing you, and they kind of act on their own. You can switch between the three characters at any time out of, at the push of a button, and you basically have a light attack, heavy attack, like he said, and then you get your class attacks, like you mentioned. And so it's kind of like the same general structure as that, same sort of field areas. You're just encountering enemies in real time. There's no separate battle screen or anything like that. It's slower than E8, so it's not as fast and fluid as that, but it is still pretty fluid. It is perhaps a little bit simpler, um, you start out with really only one combo, which is basically just like light attack, light attack, heavy attack. But as you get more, as you get into the, when you get into your first class change, about halfway through the game, you get a, a longer combo and you can get another, you can get another special attack and things like that. So it opens up a bit. Yeah. And it's just, it feels really good. So it's really crunchy, especially triangle. I say triangle. It's not just a PS4 game, but that's I, that's what I played it on, uh, and it it's just the game itself is just very relaxing to play, and that's because it's quite easy. So you just I I was sat there. I just I put it on, and I just play and play, and I I wouldn't realize that like six seven hours had passed because it's just it just relaxes you into playing it. And Adam brought up then the classes, and that is another fantastic thing. That I this is gonna sound like I've done I did zero research going into it, but I didn't actually know too much about the class system. And then when it's like, oh yeah, change classes, and there's like this class tree that you can go up, that really does change the game. Um, Adam, you've you've played the original, so can you confirm like is it better or worse? Well, it's how do I put this? I kind of want to talk more at length, but. In terms of that specifically, um, in the remake, you can get to your class change, your first one, more easily than you could in the uh, in the original. You you can get to it more easily in the remake, and that's because you seem to gain levels a little bit faster, and so you reach you reach kind of the the limit that you need to reach. Um, because by the time you get to Gust Hall, which is where you basically see your first monosome, that's where you that's where you is that where you did your class change. Yeah, yeah, that's where I did my first one. Yeah, in the original game, by the time you get to Gust Hall, chances are you can't change yet, um, unless you've done some like serious grinding. So, in fact, you you either class change at a later at a later moment, or you have to like revisit Gust Hall later to um, to change your class. So it's always just a it's just a little bit different there. Now, I thought I heard that you could. So I'm not done with the game yet. I I I thought I heard you could. In the original game, your class changes were permanent. 
in this game, I know you can do like a reset function, but I haven't really messed with it. But as far as I'm aware, there's some way to kind of ch to change your choice. D do yeah. you know anything about that? I know you can do it because I saw it on the menu, but I, I didn't want to mess around with it. It's something I would like to go back into. And that brings me to another really good point is replay value in Trials of Mana is huge. And th this was in the original, I'm pretty sure. It's Adam it's because it um it's because you can pick three you at least get two completely different playthroughs if you pick a different trio of characters right because there's six total and you pick yeah. three exactly and well we get you get three different ones because the way the game wants you to play it is that there's six characters you can choose whichever three of them you want but there are two that interact the best each time so there. I don't know the specifics of it because being an idiot, I've ignored it for now. I'm I'm going back. Don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a few more playthroughs. Um, but there are who is it, Adam? You know, you know. Duran and Angela, uh, Reese and Hawkeye, Charlotte and uh, Kevin. Those are the pairs. See, there we go. So if you choose any two of them, then their stories uh, interact a lot more, and. So you, you essentially, if you want to see the whole thing, you have to play through at least three times. But because there are so many classes you can go for, and there's a new game plus, there's there's loads of content here. Uh, and the, the game itself is quite short, so I managed to, without any rushing, get through it in about 15 hours. But if you think about that, 15 times, well, you probably 10 10 and 10 on the next few but like that's at least well but it but it's but it's meant to be a, a brief game that you play through multiple exactly. times that's that's just that's the design intent there yeah and i think they did very well the um it, the thing is it's hard for me to pin down exactly like things i liked because just generally i just really did just like it, it it's easier to talk about stuff that i don't like because generally there's a lot less of it it's only little things it's... here and there yeah, I guess sometimes it can be difficult, and this becomes true whenever you have to write down like critical thinking about a game. It's easy to kind of say, I feel strongly about this thing in a, in a negative way, and I'm going to write at length. But when, when you just enjoy something, sometimes it's hard to just say anything really meaningful other than, yeah, I, I jived with it. It felt good, you know, because I don't know. I, that's my personal take is that it's you don't want to let just because it's easier to be critical doesn't mean you want to lean too much into that oh, exactly one thing one thing that i when i look at pre-release like media or or your you guys talk about trials of mana and maybe this is super like superficial but whenever a game has any sort of class system that changes how your characters like physically appear like unique costumes like i think of changing a character's class and like final fantasy tactics or whatever um to me that that immediately like just boosts the games like my opinion of a game like oh man i can change class and it actually like changes what my character looks like i wear a different costume i just think not and or even if a game when you change equipment it actually manifests in your what your character is like holding or wearing it does so that here as well with, with the weapons like that's how that might sound super dumb or it's just like well of course they're gonna do that but but i just something about that i i really kind of have an affinity no for. i, I so agree with that I, completely so when i look at trials of mana that's something or if i were to play it i don't know if i'll get the time to do it like this month but that's something that i am looking forward to there's also uh, go on go on adam you, you let up. um i was just going to mention on the length it actually feels shorter than the original game and there's a couple of reasons for that two i'll name two one 
in the original game, and this is actually a big flaw in the original, and I pro- and I think I mentioned it when I was replaying it uh, a couple of months ago or so, but basically preparing for this, you have to pull up your spell menu and your item menu every time, or the spell menu especially, um, every time you want to use a spell. Like if you want Angela to do any spells, you have to pull up her spell menu and have her do it. And you basically have to pause the game constantly. And I think that adds up. And the fact that in the remake, if you have Angela... I know you didn't play with, with her, but I have her kind of tagging along. She'll just cast spells on her own. I don't, I don't have to force her to. And that, that saves you a lot of time. You don't have to open the menu every, literally every like 10 seconds to have her do something. But also the field areas, while they generally do try to match up how the field areas looked in the original game, the original game, they were very segmented uh, and a bit more maze-like. So it was easier to get a little bit lost in those areas and also the enemy density was a bit higher in the original so you're fighting more and because of that the remake it's a little bit quicker to go through an area uh and i that makes it just a tad shorter like i think the original game is more like 20 25 hours so you're cutting like five to ten hours off the time just the way that the that the remake is structured and just a little bit more fluid in the combat so it, it it's even shorter now is what i'm getting at but there's also bringing bringing it back to positives is that well I, I would even say that the short length is a positive. No, I I wasn't really saying that was a negative or a positive. It's oh, just yeah, something no, I, I noticed. Like wow, I'm really like so I played the original game twice, and I kind of just as I'm playing through it, it's like a nostalgia trip for me. But it's I'm also thinking to myself, wow, I'm really blitzing through this. Like it feels like the pacing is faster and yeah. more things are happening more quickly now. So I feel that as I replay it and kind of revisit these areas. Now, just, to, same... just to set the floor, sorry, um, Collection of Mana is how you would play the original game in English, which came out last year in June, available, I think, just yes. on Switch. So I think you can, you know, I think that the original Psyche and Densetsu 3, you can play in English, like through fan patches uh, unofficially. But Collection of Mana is, when you say you've played it, that's what you're referring to. I don't. I just don't think we had made that hundred percent clear. Well, yeah, I played. So I played the fan translation and the official original oh, okay. release. Or official release. I said I played it twice. I played it once, both ways. Oh, that's what you meant. All right. I, I should mention that I do own Second Dead Setsu Three on Super Famicom, so I actually do own it. Didn't just pirate it. I bought it. <laughs> I remember. I know it was kind of silly, but I think it was E three two years ago. We we stopped by the um that retro game shop in Little Tokyo. And I remember like making a tweet on the RPG site account. How about, oh, here's second, second Densetsu 3, still like a white whale that we'll never get to play. And then here in 2020, within a year, we've gotten it released officially twice in an original form and in a remake. So, and it's really let good. Let us know what place. other, yeah, yeah, let us know uh, what other game we have yet to see and we'll tweet about it and maybe it'll come true. Who knows? Okay. So let me just say some, one other thing here, just more overview thoughts of the game. I think we somehow haven't gotten to that yet. So it is a very kind of, if, if you're looking for an RPG that's like really uh, challenging or like really engaging and that you have to like, there's lots of different uh, permutations and how you build your characters and how you approach combat and really test the lim- your limits and things like that, like a Dark Souls game or something. It's not, this Trials of Mana is not that. It's much It's a much more relaxing kind of just, I think relaxing is the word George is, George used and the word I'm going to use. It's just kind of a, a relaxing experience. It's got a really easy kind of structure to it. It's 
you know what you're, what you're doing and how to play. It kind of comes to you really naturally. And so it, it feels like a game, and I mean this in the best way possible, that you could give to your, to your 10-year-old and he'd play it and like it. It's just a very easygoing, friendly game. That's the type of game it no, is. You, 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 went through the ex- you went through the extreme example right away when you went to Dark Souls. But even like compared to Final Fantasy VII or Persona, would you say it's like less cerebral? I guess. Again, I'm trying to be like positive yeah. because not every game. Yeah, I'm. Be, I'm. I'm. I'm at, a, I'm at a lack of adjectives here, but it's. It's not very like. You don't need to think too much when you're playing this game. You don't need to prepare, like your your party. You don't need to worry about how well you're executing your moves or, or things like that. You, you don't have to it's a cool be down especially game. careful. Yeah, it's a cooldown game, and it's just. That's the type of game it is. I'm not necessarily criticizing the game for that. It's just um, an easygoing, different mindset going in. Yeah. Which I think that's there's a perfectly there's plenty of space for that sort of game where you just you know you want to just enjoy like a, a new scenery, enjoy the world, play something that's you can just go and come into after work or after school and just kind of like cool down and just chill. A very chill game. There you go. There's another adjective. Yeah, and it, it the length itself reminded me of uh, the Outer Worlds, where I felt when I finished that 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 was a perfect length, like perfect length to it. I didn't feel like it had too much or too little, and that's exactly the sort of feeling I had with Trials of Mana. And that's knowing that there's more to go back and. Well, another game that we've talked about on the podcast plenty, which I'm going to break a rule and bring up, but it's kind of like uh, Saga Scarlet Grace, where it's not that long to play through once. Well, I guess it can be if you're like super into it, but it's the sort of game where you just you play through it again and you just change one or two key things and you have a, a bit of a different experience. Um, but if you're not, if you didn't really take to it that strongly, or if you just enjoyed it, you know, a moderate amount, you know, you're not you're not obligated to play through it multiple times to get like the full story or whatever. It's more just you know what, I want to play through that again with uh, with Durant because George says he's boring and I don't believe him or whatever. <laughs> he's he's okay. just no Kevin. All right. One thing or two things I want to mention. One, just a quick thing, being someone who's played the original, one thing that's kind of like a, a gateway to nostalgia, like very, very immediately, is the remix soundtrack. And whenever you have remix soundtracks, I feel like a lot of times, sometimes they're kind of half and half whether I like it or not because you know whenever you whenever you're changing music or rearranging it you're inevitably changing it so there might be something like oh I don't like how they changed this from how it was but I think this remake has done a pretty good job taking those old Super Famicom tracks and basically reorchestrating them for a modern release and it's really cool hearing these tracks that are kind of instilled in my brain like ah oh, it's Little Sweet Cafe that's one of the town themes and like hearing that in the remake, it's it's really cool to run into that. I know George doesn't have the same nostalgia factor that I do, but I think they did a really good job there. I definitely I liked the the soundtrack a lot, uh, without any nostalgia. So this, it's that's why I think it was interesting to get me to take a look at it. Is that um, I don't really have any well I don't have any connection to the original, so I'm I'm appreciating it just well, as a game. The original only became playable in English last year, like I said. So I don't yeah, think that's yeah. an unusual standpoint. So I think that's perfectly, I mean, it, it was already perfectly valid, but maybe even more so than that, because 
the number of people who are going into the remake having played the original within the last year, I think, is a very small percentage. So Adam yeah. is kind of in the minority there. Sorry. Adam, this um, is a question I have for you. Go ahead. Is, is Kevin the best character originally? I was actually going to bring that up. Uh, yes, in the original game, Kevin was actually kind of broken. And mainly the reason why is that uh, two things. He attacks way faster than anyone else. And even though like his punches aren't as strong as like Duran's swings in the original, the fact that he can like attack, I don't know, twice as fast or whatever, basically his DPS is really high. And also when he, he if you're at night and he transforms into his full werewolf form, his his power boosts even more. So actually, I remember when you're playing the original game, it, it doesn't work in every area, but like one of the strategies is, is if you have Kevin on your team, make sure you're fighting the bosses at night because why not? You're 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 getting a powered up character if you do. Yeah. So, are there any drawbacks? That's literally what I did. Uh, to Kevin at night? Nope. He's just stronger at night. This is a pure, the game a pure has a normal... Problem. Yeah, the game has a normal day-night system, and Kevin is just stronger at night. That's just how it is. <laughs> For me, it always felt like he was. it was at night whenever I needed him. So it was a boss. Oh, cool. So Kevin, Kevin's a werewolf, just coincidentally, so I'm not going to use any character now other than him. So the other so thing I was going to mention bit. was... Uh, we talked, we briefly mentioned the classes, and in the original game, you had more of a traditional like skill allocation. You had six different stats, and you, when you leveled up, you basically like, all right, you can put your additional stat into strength or into dexterity or into luck. Um, and the luck stat was completely broken, by the way. But in the new game, it's a little bit different. They they nixed one of the stats, and now there's five stats. I think it's uh, spirit, intelligence, strength, stamina, and luck are the five stats. And Didn't as you put uh, agility, I think, yeah, they got rid of the agility or dexterity stat, depending if you're using the official or fan translation name. Um, but uh, now you, when you allocate points into a stat, you get skills that you can use. And sometimes you just get a, a raw stat bonus. Like for example, if you put enough points into stamina, you'll get, your character gets stamina plus five and there's just just a sheer increase in their stamina. And stamina is like their defense, basically. Um, but if you, there are some skills, uh, by skills like passive skills that you can get by, by allocating points. Like for instance, if you put enough stamina into, uh, or points into stamina, you might get a skill that basically makes it so you do, or you take less damage when guarding, or that you do more damage when you're attacking while you are being attacked sort of thing. Um, I think that skill is called counter. And there's a bunch of these passive skills like this uh, throughout the game. There's a lot for the magic characters too. Like for example, there's a skill that for Angela that when you're casting magic, there's a skill that makes it so her magic does 20% more damage, but costs 5% of her health every time she casts sort of thing. And so these are equipped, equipable things that you set. And so when it comes to like party building, this is where you get into something, something that is really brand new. Like this was not in the original game at all. Now, let me just mention what my sort of party setup was, and then George can mention what sort of his party setup was, and maybe we can compare how varied our, our gameplay styles were. So my party, uh, I haven't finished the game, but it's Duran, Angela, and Reese. And so Duran is basically my frontline fighter, and I turned him into a gladiator class, which what that gives him is a saber skill, or it's a magic, it's a magic spell, so Duran can cast some magic. And what that is, is like, for example, he can cast Fire Saber on himself. And that basically 
gives his attacks a fire attribute. So if you're ever in the ice area or fighting ice enemies or an ice boss, this can raise your damage output tremendously. And so that's the sort of, um, that's the class I made Duran. And in terms of his uh, abilities, like his equipable, equipable abilities that I'm giving him, I gave him one that makes it so his saber skills cost more MP, but they raise damage by like 15%. And I gave one that makes it so enemies, when they're attacked by their elemental weakness, take 10% more damage. So you, you see what I'm getting at, basically trying to really exploit their elemental weaknesses. So not only is it now just effective, it's super effective. Well, why Angela, don't you fight a fire enemy? Yeah, well, I, then I do ice, ice saber um, <laughs> spell. Okay. Yeah, and Angela, I'm having basically be a pure damage elemental mage. So again, kind of focusing on the element side of things. But I made her a class, and I don't remember what it's called, that has a chance to lower to debuff the enemy when she casts a spell. And so it's not 100% effective, or at least not yet. But she, there's a chance that when she attacks an enemy, she can lower their defense or lower their offense. And basically a way to weaken them. And she now that she casts magic on her own in this game, I don't really have to worry about what she's doing too much. And same thing with Reese. Reese is my support character. And she doesn't have any healing spells, but she basically does offense as well as buffs. So she'll just on her own cast like protect magic, strength magic, magic up. Um, and she seems pretty smart about it. Like she'll cast the strength up on Duran and she'll cast the magic up on Angela. And so that's basically, that's cool. yeah, that's, that's, this is way, way better than what it was in the original game. Just imagine in the original game, you're fighting an enemy or fighting a boss. All right, pause the menu, Angela, cast magic on enemy. Now pause the menu, Reese, cast the buff on my character. Now pause the menu, Duran, cast your sword magic on yourself. And you still have to do that a little bit, like casting, if you're playing as Duran and having him cast his sword magic on himself, because obviously you need to control him to do it somehow. But it's still way more fluid now than it was in the original. So that's basically my party setup: is Angela and Duran are your offensive magic, or your offensive characters, really focusing on elemental damage, um, and then Reese is sort of my buffer support character, and then all my healing use is just through items. So I know you didn't have any like magic casters on your team, George. So like, did you just no. force your way through everyone? Well, it, it kind of felt like that, but. So hearing you talk about all the strategy you had has kind of made me wonder if I've been playing the game from the wrong angle. Uh, Adam's because... a bit of a nerd, so don't take it like that. Yeah, he he kind of he knows what he's doing a lot more. So, it's... but I had all of my characters; they all played very similarly. Like they all played with like a general attack focus, just because I thought that'd be the easiest way to to get through. And that's just how I play most of my games anyway. If if it's a stealth game, I'm usually like, no, I'll probably just just go in a bit more heavy-handed uh so i had kevin go down with the dark classes and he was my go-to character i'd just be wailing on enemies all the time as him um and then hawkeye was supposed to be my support but it didn't really feel like he was supporting that much he would be attacking just as much occasionally using some traps and healing items uh the only time i really noticed it was when i'd have Duran, because he he acted more support than hawkeye did really uh, he was going down all the dark classes, but he had a lot of his saber spells, so he'd be giving me elemental damage when I needed it. And he, I found that he actually uh, took to healing a lot more. Uh, I should also mention that you can go in and change how your uh, your party will attack, so you can get them to focus on attacking other enemies or uh, all attack one enemy. 
Uh, so I was going to actually ask about this. If there's anything, I'm, I'm not going to say gambit system, but is there anything like be aggressive or heal yourself or something yeah, completely. general? It, it's not. It's not like a command. It's not like you can say in the middle of battle, like, oh, go for that guy. Uh, but it's you, you can say, okay, don't use up all my healing if you don't want to, which which is good. I, I think all RPGs should have that sort of system if they have a party like this. It's actually interesting to hear you two talk about those sort of things because it reminds me of two related conversations that I've seen around Final Fantasy VII Remake. So yeah. on Adam's end, he talked about... Uh, how he didn't like pausing and issuing commands quite as often. And to me, that just comes naturally. I don't know if that's something I've carried you over. You have not like, played the original game. You have to pause like constantly. Uh, so when you describe that, what I think of is on the other side of the pond, I think of like Infinity Edge and Baldur's Gate, uh, Pillars of Eternity, where you're like expected to pause and issue commands. And you do that a lot in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And there are some discussions like, oh, it would be better if there was a Gambit system where someone would like you mentioned where uh your support character i forget which one it was was casting attack up and magic up on their own and i was thinking like final fantasy 7 remake doesn't do that or a lot of real time with pause games don't do that you kind of have to manually make that a uh, kind of you have to manually implement that and then the final fantasy 12's way around that was to do the campus system where you just say well at the start of the battle everyone cast haste and bravery and then when george was uh talking about how like what was george talking about he's mentioned that all your characters were like attack focused but you could make no, my, general yeah, commands you, you could make general commands about whether they should be aggressive or defensive that's well, it's not really command it's more like it's more like ai settings like you go into yeah. a menu outside of battle and you can set like what their ai parameters are well that's kind of like um i think of the uh, tail series where you can say for every character use items sparingly or you know things like that there's a few little like toggles where it's not quite as in-depth as a few other games but you can say like only cast spells if you've got more than a quarter of your MP, otherwise save it for healing or stuff like that. There's some very, very can, loose kind of AI shifting you can do. Can you guys guess what game it reminds me of? Kingdom Hearts? Yes, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's the same as it <laughs> How so? Hearts. You can be like, oh, because with that, there's quite a, it's quite infamous that Donald Duck is useless at healing. Oh, yes. Uh, he's not really, but it's said that he is, but you can change your settings to be like, only That's heal me. Or... It is. It's, it's, not, it's not fair. Donald's the, Donald's the damn good healer in that game. But I haven't yeah, seen Bahamut cast Zeta Flare. He's stuck with Mega Flare. <laughs> Anyways, True, so you guys he's, were talking about so a bit about uh, character, like how they play and which ones are the best. But in terms of actual like characterization and plot, I guess we haven't really talked about like we talked about how you don't like Duran because he's boring or Charlotte because her English VA direction is weird. But which character? I know you haven't played through the game with each one, but out of the six, who do you think is like the most? What's the word? Like you're the sympathetic to the most. You're, you're engaged with the most. The one that you say this person's story really resonates with me. Um, I would say I, I've said when I said that Kevin was the best, I didn't just mean in a gameplay way. I mean the character as well. I guess well. you did say if that. If you can get over the fact that which it, character was your main character, like your 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 Kevin was, was it Kevin? Okay, yeah. yeah. That might influence. Um, 
like we mentioned, the story splits into three directions and kind of each storyline of the three kind of centers on two characters. So Angela and Duran's story, while their character like premises are not the same character, of course, their stories basically are the same storyline. That's kind of just the way the game is structured. Um, so the fact, the, the, the gameplay that, or the, the storyline that George saw would have been Kevin and Charlotte's, right? Like it most focused on them, but God. he didn't have Charlotte in his party. So that I makes it a little will. bit different. Yeah. <laughs> but her, like a lot of the circumstance and basically her, how it works is her final boss would be the same character, same villain character that you fight. So. Oh, okay. But yeah, Kevin. So Kevin's Kevin the best character. Just, he was just like, That's what you're saying. Yeah, well, I, I think so. Hawkeye would is a another good one. Um, it, it they do his. I, I won't keep harping on about the voice direction, but I think the way his character is done is quite good. It's not even if the voice acting isn't perfect, you could see it still comes across what he is like a charming, cocky sort of character. So to scale to the general level of the game, Hawkeye is the best out of the group in terms of English VA? Yeah, yeah. Out of the, in terms of what, yeah, definitely. So in my party of Duran, Angela, and Reese, um, Reese is probably the worst. She's yes. supposed to sound like a proper noble, but she kind of just sounds like, like, I know like if you're speaking like a noble, you kind of maybe sound a little bit more stilted by by design in a way you're you're more proper or whatever and less casual but it, it's to an extreme with her where it doesn't sound like a human being is talking um <laughs> she, she just sounds bored i i, I yeah. have a few cuts because you you do all the characters run into each other one way or another yeah like for, at one point in the game or in like the first half you're going to do the scenario where you're freeing castle laurent and that's basically where she'll so she will show up whether or not she's in your party but yeah, her voice out of the three I had was probably the worst, and it wasn't even it wasn't even like because of a a gimmick like Charlotte or anything like that. I mean, maybe the fact that she's so stilted is a gimmick, but it just sounded like a robot. Um, Angela, it's actually if you don't know who Angela is as a character, you may not. Uh, this this voice direction may sound really awkward to you, but she actually kind of sounds a little bit Valley Girl, not too much, but just a bit. It's not great. But she's she's the type of person um, where she's like a, uh, she she likes uh, sleeping in a bed rather than out in the rocks. She she doesn't like caves. She's very proper or not proper, but like uh, what's the word pampered, and that's the type of character yeah. she is. Yeah. Um, her voice acting, none of the voice acting I would say is great, um, but there is one line that she will say when you're like exploring caves and stuff, and she's just like it's too damp and dark in this cave, and just it sounds like something she would say. Um, so she was better than Reese, but although it's still not, you know, fantastic. And then Duran is just kind of the stoic, I want to be stronger, I want to be a better swordsman type of person, and his voice sort of is that. Again, not great. None of the voices are great. The thing is, uh, Can like, you play in uh, Japanese? Yeah, I think when I do a future play, I am playing in English just to kind of experience it, just to give it a shot. But I think the next time I play, and also I am playing, I'm playing a second playthrough, and I will put Charlotte in my party in my second playthrough. Uh, and that'll be one reason. Like, let me just try the Japanese voices this time. Uh, so we'll see. What I was saying was that I was thinking about Duran then, and it made me think that actually, even if 
because I I couldn't I, I wouldn't go out and say that the story is amazing. I, I think it's pretty basic for an RPG game. The individual character moments, there were a few that actually made me go, oh, that's 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 good, that's nice. I actually did become invested in the characters and considering the voice acting and considering the story sort of in my view not being very fleshed out that's that's an accomplishment i think is it more plot focused or character focused like is it are the characters themselves driving where they're going or is it just kind of we have to go here because this is the thing that has to be done well, the remembering that this game came out in 1993 like and the story that's is true. still that's that something to keep in mind um, yeah. the, the plot is pretty traditional in that it kind of boils down to the first half of the game, you're collecting the eight mana spirits. And so like, that's a very tried and true classic plot, like movement forward. And then after like a midpoint of the game, you kind of revisit those eight spirits to fight kind of a, a mana boss, which I, I guess are called Benevadons now. Benevadons, yeah. So it is kind of this very kind of checklist sort of st structured game plot um, that then the, the unique hook that this game had back in 1993 was the fact that it split into three um, at the end and you, your party can be, you know, three characters out of six. But it, it's, I would say the game is not really a plot focus at all or not even character focus. It's, it's kind of just a nice casual vehicle for gameplay. But it's it's not you you wouldn't really play this game for the plot. <laughs> I feel like the, the way Adam and I are talking about it, it, it's making it sound more negative than it is because we, we both really like the game. It's just is that sort of thing. It's just a nice game. It is just a a, a really good game, and that is sometimes casual you say is about a good a word for it. Yeah, I I I, I kind of shuddered at the word casual then. In like, well, I don't mean like, like I don't mean really like casual, casual versus I don't mean casual versus hardcore or whatever. I just mean like casual yeah. versus strict sort of thing. You're totally right. It, we're all getting uh, caught up on semantics. It, it is very good. <laughs> Take it as that. Uh, obviously, George did write out his total thoughts um, in his review that went up earlier in the week. So do give that a read. It's much more coherent there. Um, all I would say is that there's, even having reviewed it, there's still so much to see and do in it that uh, I, I will keep playing it. So over the next few weeks, I probably will have more and more to say about it. And I'm interested to see what Adam thinks, especially because obviously he's had a lot more experience with the series than I have. Just one last thing before we move on. Um, I'm just curious, like in terms of endgame stuff, like is it possible or you can have the wrong character group? Like, You'll, you'll never be able to beat so-and-so if you've picked Charlotte and Angela or you know, something like that. Okay, so I feel like throughout this podcast, we maybe have sounded more critical than we are. I think you just have to be like, you have to approach this game kind of knowing what it is and what it isn't. Yeah. Um, the game is not very hard. I'm playing on hard mode. And what hard mode effectively has boiled down to is that since you're partner AI is never like fantastic. They're never going to be as good as a played character. Um, they get hit more often and you kind of have to throw items their way. Um, the hard mode is still not very hard. And I feel like the, the level of challenge that this game throws at you is not meant to be like, especially over the top. I feel like any combination of characters or classes or abilities 
you can make your way through. I, I, I know when this game first came out, um, people might have been worried about, like, I want to make sure my characters are the right classes or I get a good party together or whatnot. But I think the game is generally lenient enough that you don't need to worry about that too much. You can you can make it work without too much hassle. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't... it In everything that it tries to do, including difficulty, I think it delivers because I don't think it's, it's never, it was never supposed to be right. You're at the final boss. You better grinded. You better struggle on this. It's not supposed to be like that. And if you do want it to be like that, then you can, uh, Adam saying the hard mode isn't very hard, but I'm sure if you put some restrictions on yourself, it might be a bit more difficult. I'm, I'm curious. So, so far in hard mode, the boss that was the most annoying for me, I don't remember the name, but it's that it's like the face on a wall boss. Or, yeah, face on a wall. Yeah, that one that, sucked. Yeah, that one, I didn't really... Okay, let me just say my, my least favorite boss and my most favorite boss so far. Because um, the game does have a lot of bosses, and the original was like that too. Especially in the late half, it's almost a boss rush. Um, that face on a wall boss, he kind of, like, he doesn't move at all. because he's a face on a wall. But he summons, <laughs> he summons enemies that are just kind of annoying. But then he kind of attacks all throughout the room. And it feels like it's very hard to avoid damage because there are attacks coming out everywhere, especially in the region right right in front of him. And so you pretty much like, well, if I want to do damage to him, I have to stand in front of him where there's attacks coming out, like sp spikes from the ground or fireballs being thrown around and things like that. So it kind of felt like that boss is just do as much damage as fast as possible while taking a bunch of damage and just trying to, trying to keep up. So it kind of felt kind of chaotic and annoying. The boss I actually liked the most so far um, is the, I don't remember the boss's name, but so it's the boss right before you get Dryad. It's like this plant that you fight um, with like a dragonish oh, head. Uh, I like that uh, boss because um, it felt like it was more deliberate in how you are supposed to approach it. Like, for example, he will shoot a couple of seeds on the ground that will explode. And you can basically knock away the seeds before they explode. So... But you, you're not, they don't, they'll explode too fast, so you can't knock away all of them. So it, it felt like a little bit more deliberate, like, all right, he shot his three seeds out. Now I'm going to have to like run to the, this side of the map and knock away that seed and then stay over here while the other ones explode and then go back, sort of thing. And it just felt a little bit more deliberate in like where I have to be positioned and where I have to attack from in order to deal damage while avoiding damage. Whereas a lot of the other bosses just kind of feel like, um, especially that face on wall boss, you just kind of have to, it's just kind of a, uh, a chaotic cluster that you're just trying to do, do mash more the attack button as much as possible. Yeah. So, so I, I actually like that plant boss quite a bit because it just felt a little bit more like thoughtful in terms of to attack. Like the, there is a proper way to approach this. I would actually say that um, the bosses are definitely a highlight. Uh, that is something that I could pinpoint as a, a really good thing. So there, there are only like one or two that I, I could outright say, yeah, I didn't like you. Um, and the one that you've just mentioned is one of them. And have you? How far are you into fighting the Benevadons? Because you mentioned them earlier. I so just, I just started. I just got flammy. So. Uh, okay. So you haven't. Well, I, I won't say then because you haven't got there. Um, but my favorite boss, I can't actually mention because I don't think. About well, I played the game originally, so I know what the bosses are. <laughs> I just haven't played this version of them, which are obviously quite different. We've, we've talked about it, me, me and you and I have talked about it, I, I said 
about one of the post-game bosses that was really cool. Oh, right. That one is brand new and exactly. might be a spoiler. Yeah. I, I will mention that next week because that is definitely worth mentioning. And I think that fans of the series are going to like it as well. I say fans. Fans of fans of the original are going to like it. And as a newcomer, I even I was like, that's really cool. It's a good boss too. I like games with lots of bosses. That might be another one of those superficial things, but I just like the spectacle. Oh, that's, I like... that's good. Adam might say something like he likes the how they're how engaging they are, which there's a, there's a nugget of truth to that too. But um, I like it when the when uh, I'll use this as a segue maybe to the games I've been playing, uh, unless there's a lot more to talk about Charles and Mana. But I love it when boss fights really kind of make just they they put in one twist or one wrinkle that just makes you do something just slightly different whether that's go focus ham on dps because otherwise you're going to take too much damage or uh you have to do you have to just engage in a slightly different way and what i've been playing recently has actually been final fantasy 10 so what Ooh. i've been like i played final fantasy 7 remake and i i pretty much i platinum that i enjoyed it a whole heck of a lot um, we talked about that in the previous like two or three podcasts um, but I guess I didn't have enough Final Fantasy, and I wanted to play something turn-based. I'm like, you know what? I have a high opinion of Final <laughs> Fantasy X. Uh, let me play that. Uh, and I, I won't go into too much detail, just because I'm kind of just playing it, not for the first time, just kind of revisit it, just kind of, you know, re-familiarize myself with it. And one thing I like how that game does, starting about at, like, the 15-hour mark or so, is that it starts throwing... Uh, kind of wrinkles your way in terms of here's the boss that is super susceptible to magic and doing physical attacks won't hurt it that much or here's a boss where you're not allowed to cast magic but you can you can uh use physical attacks to to basically unlock doing how do i word this i'm fumbling over my words if you if you attack this part of the boss that's preventing you from casting magic you can start casting magic again but now the boss will be way more aggressive so there's the there's the drawback there um so when adam was talking about to try to to talk about how i came to this topic come from child of mana when he was talking about a boss that was a dps race or a boss that you had to position yourself carefully to you know prevent damage to yourself as a sort of thing when i think about boss fights that's what i think in general in practice they're good i know some people think like boss fights are bad in practice i have seen that opinion before and i just can never agree i just i 100 percent disagree with the notion that boss fights are bad design in general i totally disagree. some people some people are like well i can't do what I, I can't do my strategy that i do normally because they just put artificial handicaps and that's bad and to me it's a really I just weird think, argument I just think in general, I think this kind of goes back to something we talked about last week, just slightly, where I think if you tell the player, I'm not saying you can say you can put on like a ton of shackles and say, you know, deal with it. But I just think if they, if you nudge a player and say, hey, how about trying this or hey, how about, you know, do this something, here's something slightly different. And then asking them to work around it, I think is it can be really rewarding when you when you figure out a new strategy on the fly that works perfectly. I was just going to say, I don't know how much Final Fantasy X I'm going to play. Uh, I it's a game I enjoy a lot, but I've kind of, I've played it a lot growing up. I don't know, like, if I'm going to go through all the way to the end game or to the post, you know. Final Fantasy X is a big thing at the end where you do a bunch of arena stuff, uh, which takes a long time if you really get into it. So I don't know if I'm going to go that ham. But uh, I guess I played the action kind of based combat of Final Fantasy VII Remake, but I still do like turn-based combat 
so I wanted to play something a turn-based game that I enjoyed a lot. So uh, that's why I went back to Final Fantasy X. I guess I don't really have anything more enlightening to really say about that. Well, we we have just talked about Trials of Mana because it's new. It's easier to talk about in depth. But Final Fantasy X is one of those that I've always meant to go back and try. But I think you could probably say that I need to try every Final Fantasy besides fifteen, which uh, I love. My personal opinion is that there's there's no reason to play two, just ignore two. Not to turn this into like a final, not to turn this into like a Final Fantasy ranking thing, but just my personal opinion is that's that's the one that I enjoyed the least. Isn't eight supposed to be very good with a gunblade? Eight is uh eight's different. Eight, eight has some really weird under not weird different underlying systems in terms of how the summons work and how the stats work and how everything is uh scaled to your level so it's just got a different design philosophy than other games where it's like in final fantasy 10 uh you go back to earlier in the game and all the enemies are super weak and i, I guess the same would be true for final fantasy 7 if you do the chapter select on normal mode and you play through chapter one you're just gonna you're just gonna blow through everything or final fantasy 8 everything scales so some people would say well you never feel stronger well that's not really true because you use your summons and your junction to get stronger but it's just implemented in a different way Final Fantasy VIII was a game that I, I played the remaster late last year, uh, but similar to Final Fantasy X, I just I didn't play through the to the end because I was just like I just kind of wanted to revisit it without completely going yeah, through it again. I like Another game. This is a way different topic that I've been playing in the last uh, week. Is I've been playing the original Guild Wars, which is an online game from like two thousand four. So. That's a bit different. I don't know where to, if, if that's something I could go into detail about. So I think the original Guild Wars had a really cool premise. It was basically so it came out shortly after like World of Warcraft, but it, it was wasn't the, same year, the, yeah. the original Guild Wars was not an MMO. What it most what it more was at that time was like instanced online multiplayer. So it was a really heavy focus on co-op, um, and it. So you would like set up a you would do a mission like a story mission like it had a story like other RPGs do, but instead of just being like a single player go through this level, it's like all right, party up with seven of your friends and do this. You basically all play through this level together, and it was sort of like this level based cooperative online game, and it was really cool for the and time. To be honest, no sub kind of the yeah the no sub fee is why I played it when I was a young poor broke kid. But uh, it kind it kind of was the prototypical, almost like Destiny like. Obviously, it's not a shooter, or a schluter, but it, it had that sort of cooperative online. Uh, yes, you can you can crucify me for that, but it had that sort of. It's an online game, but in a cooperative. Uh, you, I was trying to think of another word than instance, but I don't think there really is a more appropriate one. Where it's not, you don't go out into the world and you see massive number of people running around because it's not designed like that but it's you have these different hub areas these outposts you can see people running around you can choose to select a party and this is something you see in like the division it's something you see in uh, even like diablo um which would have preceded it but it's it's that it's kind of got that cooperative online but in the but but designed forwardly to look like an mmo and it's got I was what I was the reason why I was playing it is because they actually provided like a 15 year update to it and it doesn't have a whole lot of substantial um you know I think I'll I'll probably poke my head in again today and then call it good cuz I've kind of played that game to death when I was younger 
but I just think it's really cool that it's an online game where 15 years later, it's it's beyond its twilight years now, but you can still log in and play. If you wanted to, you could start from level one and go through it. It's still like up and running. Uh, and I think the developers uh, are, it's basically completely automated now where it doesn't have a lot of like a live um, support behind it with the exception that they did provide like an actual content update for its 15 year anniversary where they've added new skills and they added new bosses. Um, so I was just, again, just kind of like Final Fantasy 10, just kind of like revisiting something from my childhood. Like, all right, you know, my character is still there. I can log in. I, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if someone like George has like an online game that you played when you were younger uh, that would be in like in a similar space where it's like, I don't know if it would be like RuneScape or something like that. It would sadly be Club Penguin. <laughs> I mean, that's no judgment here, but it's just nice to know that like if when the guild wars servers go down like completely permanently i don't know if that's going to be in five years or 10 years or longer than that that's probably gonna be the first time i'll be like really bummed like you sometimes read from an external point of view where it's like for instance like wildstar is shutting down or so and so is shutting down and like you'll never be able to log in and see what you you know i have hundreds of hours in that game so there's like this irrational attachment that i have to the time i've spent with it and luckily for now i don't have to like i can still log in and do it everything is still there but at some point that's not going to be the case it released in 2004. what was that Did it released in 2004 you say it was four or five it was around there i think it was like six months after world of warcraft and then of course the inevitable comparison there is that guild wars one stopped getting real substantial updates in like 2009 and they made the sequel, which I'll just kind of off the table for now. Uh, well, WoW is still chugging along still. Like, obviously, there's WoW Classic now, too. Um, but between the two games, it's clearly which one had the, you know, the long, the more successful long-term uh, progress. Because one of them is still going and one of them has not been updated in a decade. But yeah, I've just been, I guess this last week, I've just been not playing anything new. I've just kind of been poking my head at... Uh, Final Fantasy, old Final Fantasy games. Guild Wars 1 had an update. Um, I did do a little bit, tiny bit more Fallout 76, which I talked about at length last week, so I won't go into it here. I did write up a review, so I guess I'll give that a shout out. Um, I actually wasn't here last week to talk about it, so uh, very brief rundown. What are your thoughts? I, I know like the gist of your thoughts, but uh, sum up for people like me who didn't listen to last week. The sum up is, I feel like I'm a bit scatterbrained here because I talk about Final Fantasy for like two minutes, then Guild Wars like two minutes. But I guess that's, that's just the week I had. I've just been kind of poking my head in and out in different places. But for um for Fallout 76... You also have to remember that you did review Final Fantasy VII Remake and did it in a really, really amazing way, getting the platinum. You deserve a break for a few for a week or so yeah i'm still at that wind down where i don't want to start anything big and massive and like play through it for a week and have a big you know takeaway for a podcast but um so i for fallout 76 my main takeaway without retreading a ton of old ground is that i think it clearly shows its potential now but it also clearly shows how it squandered it uh and my main so fallout if you've never played one at least the bethesda ones since fallout 3 on they they do have that kind of typical Western RPG idea of having like your protagonist along with companions and Fallout 76 added some ally type characters, 
but what they did is they just all these ally characters do is stand around in your camp and give you dozens of fetch quests and to me that's just like yeah. why why do, if you're going to implement this very key common popular component of a western rpg why did you implement it in this way like so now i have an ally character who sits at my camp and says i need such and such i need this doodad will you please go to this location on your map and get it for me and then you come back and they're like oh thank you and then you can be like you can flirt with them like it's it almost feels like back of the box checklist like we have companions now and the romance options but nothing nothing about it just feels like engaging or well made or like interesting it just feels like the minimum viable thing they could put in just to say they had it and that's kind of this that's my summary so worth checking out um if you really like that's hard to say as a yes or no it's kind of weird i've seen a few people talk about it like diehard fallout fans that are really looking forward to or really looking for reasons to 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 defend it and i've seen people say like man this game doesn't perform well it has lots of jank it has lots of weird decisions but i'm enjoying it anyway i'm like that's valid just because and we kind of talked about this a little bit with trials of mana like sometimes it's hard to say why you're enjoying something other than like yeah i mean i'm still enjoying it i still want to log in and play it or boot it up and play it i can't really substantiate why but i still do for fallout 76 if i had to substantiate why i think it's just the fact that it is such a big massive playground where you just you can kind of log in and you can go like do i want to go to this area of the world which has this the, which has this environmental design and this sorts of enemies and these and these sorts of locations, or do I want to go to this area of the world and it has different enemies and uh, the locations appear a bit different and it's like it's just such a massive playground. It's almost like a big sandbox where you can go in and like now today I want to try to use shotguns or today I want to try a melee build or today I want to really get into my power armor and like be a slow moving tank that does lots of damage. It's kind of got that big open ended emergent gameplay make your own fun sort of thing but if you're looking for like a well-crafted polished narrative push to go from start to finish it doesn't have that sometimes you don't need that though i would argue but yeah i talked about it for like 40 minutes or not no not 40 minutes more like 20 pretty big review and it's it's even though i grade it like a six i do think i mentioned a bit uh, a few. I I try to talk about the things that I do like. I try to give it a fair shake, but I also did clearly talk about like when you give me an ally character who what all they do is stand in camp and give you fetch quests, and then one. This is kind of this is something that is really not that big a deal, but it really kind of bugged me. Is that there's two ally characters, and for one of them, I specifically every time I gave them a quest or I turned in like the result of a quest, I deliberately decided not to flirt with them. Like, I, like I'm going to not engage with the romance path here. Like, I'm going to go with the friend path or whatever. But then at the end of the quest, they still, like, had a romantic advance anyway. And to me, that just kind of betrays the design where, like, none of your choices mattered. Like, yeah, you can yeah. say whatever you want. But 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 then at the end, you can you can romance them anyway because it doesn't actually matter. It's just giving you the, you know, you might, you might do the screenshot and it shows the dialogue choices and... One of them is romantic, one of them is not, or one of them has a, a skill check and one of them doesn't. But it just kind of, it comes across like it's paper thin. Like there's a bunch of holes yeah. that you can poke in it. And that's where I that's where I think it squanders its potential. 
Yeah, I don't have much to say. I kind of agree with what you're saying. That just doesn't seem like it's very well put together. So, yep, that's my section of the what we've been playing. Final Fantasy X, Guild Wars, Fallout 76. A uh, bit of a smorgasbord, but that's what my week's been, I guess. So there it is, as it was, as it is. I'll probably log into Guild Wars after this just to wrap up a few things, just to see the new skills, and then I'll probably put it back on the shelf for the next 10 years until it has its 25th anniversary update. <laughs> I guess one thing to, to make this more uh, slightly more topical, I've been looking for like a new online RPG to play for a while. So that's kind of why I've been looking forward to things like New World uh, or even things like Ashes of Creation, which is an online like indie game, which has been in development for years and years, it feels like. But then also uh, like Fantasy Star Online 2 is coming out in May for PC and I might poke around in that and see... I've been really kind of looking is forward world, to something like is New World, the Amazon you, one, or am I being stupid? Yeah, so Amazon has two MMOs coming out. They've got New World, which is kind of like that colonial, semi-colonial styled one, and then they've got the Lord of the Rings one, which is one I'm also kind of interested in, but not because I have a super high affinity for Lord of the Rings, but just because you know a hot Western fantasy MMO. There hasn't really been one for a while, not that I can think of. It's basically, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for my next Guild Wars. Because I haven't had that in a while. And if you can't find it, just go. There you go. All right, so I guess we'll just go back, go into the news section from this. A lot of Final Fantasy related news, so maybe my section wasn't totally uh, worthless. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake <laughs> has surpassed three three and a half million shipments in three days. Which, to put that in a little bit of perspective... Whoa. Final Fantasy 15, I believe, was 5 million in a week. Final Fantasy 15 was 5 million in three days. So, oh, that was pretty still much three the same days. time period. Yeah. But and these are though. shipments. So, this isn't necessarily, you have to be always careful of this and how they word it. When they say shipments, that just means they shipped, including digital sales as well, they shipped uh, 3.5 million to stores. So, not necessarily that 3.5 million were bought. Um, by people, but like I feel, I feel like the, the one publisher that does really good about talking about specifically sold is Sony First Party. I feel like everyone else defaults to shipped, where Sony, I feel like it's been a while since they've had a big release. I think it was like Days Gone would be the last major one they had. But uh, Stranding would be oh well, that's not really Sony. Uh, yeah, First Party, but like I feel like. Back in 2018, 2019, they'd be like, this is God of War shipped. This is day, or sorry, sold. This is Dagon sold. This is Spider-Man sold. They're usually been really good about specifically denoting that. Where it seems like every other publisher just kind of defaults to shipped. So you can compare them side by side. I do think I remember seeing some uh, Japanese uh, insiders or some business analysts talk about how the sold, the sell-through of Final Fantasy VII Remake was like in the high 90%. So you might be able to say, well, shipped and sold are going to be super similar in this case. But yeah, three and a half million. It's less than Final Fantasy fifteen, but considering it's a single platform and it's going to come to, you know, other platforms and and it'll probably have a long tail and it had such a high sell through. Obviously, it's it's a big success. Yes, yeah, there are those little there are those details to to append to that. But if you're wondering why why is three and a half million less than five million, well, that's why. It's because it's it's not the sort of 
time for it really and it's yeah still with everything else going on in the world you know that's that another factor it, an asterisk yeah like it's it shipped to this many in april 2020 which we'll look back on as oh yeah april 2020 that time time when final fantasy came out that's how i look back on it right being facetious yeah. <laughs> for the one lone soul that listens to this podcast like years down the road I'm wondering what we're talking about. It's the uh, COVID-19 situation right now, which is affecting everything. Like the fact that it released on time at all is when so many other games have been delayed indefinitely or like to August or later uh, has it's and like people are just, some people just didn't get, even get their copies, at least in the Amazon in the U S shipped from Amazon until like a week later. So they, they, I don't know if that would have counted or not because it would have been shipped to Amazon. So I guessing it would, but I, I just don't know for certain. I feel like we're going to find out a lot more as the in the next month we'll probably find out more specifics about it. Yeah, cuz I think that'll that that'll be a bit of a mediating effect where we can say all right, averaged out over a month or two or a quarter, how well did it sell? I think that'll be maybe a more representative. And I feel like we're giving this a lot of uh like we're acting, we're treating this so, you know, we're being so um tiptoey about this but it did sell really well despite all these uh extenuating circumstances so i feel like we're giving this a lot of defense we don't really have to it still sold amazingly well with a high sell through percentage accidentally being very negative or medium about stuff today like all the stuff we're talking about is really good uh to clarify it's just just the mindset of the moment all been cooped up for too long so that's Final Fantasy VII Remake sales. Obviously, a lot of us are still playing through that. I know Adam wants to get to that at some point, but is in the middle of Trials of Mana. Uh, and I think James wants to get to it at some point too, but he's, you know, wasting. He is drowning in Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I've been kind of. I want to. I've been talking about looking for a new online game to play, and Final Fantasy XIV is right there. But I don't know. I just. I really want to I feel like I'm late to the party on that. I don't know. Maybe that's not rational, but that's how I feel. I think that ties into uh, what we were going to... Was this announced last week where they said that they're updating a Realm Reborn? Or is that... Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, so we we didn't talk about this on our website, but Nova Crystallis, who, were, who were, we have um, contacts over there, they did cover this. So we knew that Heavensward and I think some of Realm Reborn was being kind of polished up. So that it would be not so long, not so menial or tedious. And I believe they stated that like 13% of some of those quests leading like pre-Stormblood were being kind of shifted out or pared down. Um, there's there's more specific details that I can't really get into. Like there's a specific raid that was optional before. I think the Crystal Tower, which is now um, required. They're basically, this is one thing I actually wish the Guild Wars developers did more often, but they, obviously they released Stormblood uh, 12 months or so ago or whatever it was. Not Stormblood, Shadowbringers. Shadowbringers. Um, last, yeah. last summer. And the fact that they took the time to look at the stuff that is two years old, three years old, four years old, and polishing it up, I think is actually really, not every studio has that level of care. And mm. by not every studio, I'm looking at arena net and guild wars 2 specifically here where they release something 
and then they just never go back to, to tune it up or to change it or to make it feel better. So whenever you're playing this, and we actually talked about this a little bit with Fantasy Star too. So when you're playing something that was developed six, seven years ago, maybe not that long in terms of Final Fantasy, it's four, four years ago or so, the fact that it can show its age within the same game that it just recently had like a new expansion, I think it's always kind of been a bit incongruency that just kind of comes with the territory of online games. But the fact that the Final Fantasy XIV developers are looking at that and saying, no, we're going to give this an edit pass. We're going to give this a polish up, bring it up to current standards, bring it up to our, our current you know philosophies. I just think that is really, that is a very unique and I think welcomed mindset to have for an online game that they're supporting. And is yeah. one little nugget there that when you tell me that Heaven Sword is now going to feel better to play because of this, that is one thing that kind of nudges me like maybe now is the time to try it out. I pretty much know that I never will just because of <laughs> I don't have the time. But it is Definitely. one thing where I do, I do think that'll be a good motivation for new players. Though I guess James was a little bit too early because he played through all of it as it was and as it will be. Oh, that, I think that will be interesting to talk about. I think some some of us should definitely try that later on down the line. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, Final Fantasy XIV uh, players on Nova Crystallis, so they'll definitely have all the details on that. And but it is something where even from a distance, I welcome that sort of update, and I wish all online games had that level of uh, dedication to even their legacy content. Yeah. Speaking of updates to Final Fantasy games, this is my amazing segue to the next topic. Um, Final Fantasy XII obviously is, you know, came out in 2006 originally, but over the last five years, it's been, uh, you know, released on PS4, then PC, then Switch and Xbox, each time getting like a new update to it. It's kind of like the Dragon Quest XI situation on Switch, only maybe not quite as pronounced because the updates are a little bit more um, just aside uh but like on on when it when it came to pc they they made it so that you could have like the the two different soundtracks options or actually three different soundtrack options and they changed how the new game plus was like accessible from the beginning and then on switch and xbox they gave it so that you could uh reset your licenses uh on the fly which the other the other versions of the game had you hard locked into whatever your choices you made but so long story short, they updated this, the PS4 and Steam versions so that the, the previously Switch and Xbox uh, exclusive features are now available on any modern version of the game. I, I don't think it's complete parody. I think there's a few like niggling things like having more Gambit options or things like that. Like really kind of ticky tack stuff that might not be pure, purely parody between them. But now all the main features, the, the license board reset, the, the soundtrack arrangement, the new game plus should be parody from all four modern, sorry, five, four modern versions. Yeah, PC, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation 4. So that just went up. That just went live, I think, just yesterday, maybe the day before. So any comment, George? None. Uh, I haven't actually uh, played through that unfortunately although it is the one that i've heard most would suit me not, so, not sure. um just more broadly it seems like square enix is doing an effort putting forth an effort with things like the final fantasy 3 update from a, a few months ago the final fantasy 8 remastered last year to this update that they're they are trying to have some sort of 
like putting their Final Fantasy catalog into some, they're taking a couple of their titles and it looks like they're trying to shape them up to be like, so up till now that Steam release of Final Fantasy 12 basically had that sort of asterisk where it's like, it's, it doesn't have all the features that the, that the Switch release has and the Xbox release has. And so it like, rather than having that just be an asterisk forever, like it will never be the most up-to-date version. They went back and updated it and Final Fantasy three got an update that no one expected and then Final Fantasy VIII Remastered, they did that because the original source code is effectively lost, so they kind of had to recreate it. And so I just kind of feel like I give Square Enix, even though there's been some issues with how they've done some of these, I know some of them had to get like hot-fixed hot closely after patching, but I, I appreciate that they're actually going back and trying to to shape up these releases, um, their, their classic catalog. Well, even a little bit longer, this is more like in the sixth or five month ago category, but when they've gone to the um, modern ports of the old PS1 games to fix like the music bugs, and I don't remember offhand like which ones have been fixed and which ones are still outstanding, but like Final Fantasy IX on Switch used to have this problem where it would restart after every battle, they and they tuned that up. So in general, and then obviously the Final Fantasy fourteen stuff we just talked about. So I do think that that's really kind of a neat little... Uh, project of theirs is that they're making sure that they're doing these uh tune-ups for their uh for their titles i would say that square enix is probably on top of the world right well not not quite literally like oh they're the best developer out there but they're definitely doing good stuff it, it seems like it's uh been a good year for them so far obviously with final fantasy and i'm looking forward to um crystal chronicles i'm really in interested to see how that one turns out we did it. we did give square enix like in our in our own website's game of the year uh, awards last year, I think they had four titles. Our game of the year was Saga. We had Final Fantasy Shadowbringers up there. We had Dragon Quest Builders up there, and then we also had Kingdom Hearts in there, mostly because of George. Uh, but I think we had those four titles. <laughs> and I think we could have had Dragon Quest Eleven Switch, but we kind of purposely left that out just because yeah. it would have been bad to like have that in the we, top one or two two years in a row just because it was re released. Yeah, we that, that was a that was a weird situation. Like we we rated it so well the year before, and it's like, well, there's now an even better version. But we kind of just wanted to shine shine the spotlight on other games this year rather than just kind of doubling down. Like, yeah, this game is still great. So, but yeah, Square Enix is not. It seems like especially because Final Fantasy VII remake, it could have been really really bad, um, but it wasn't. I haven't played it, but it seems like it's not. <laughs> so, it seems like they they struck well on that one. The Dragon Quest thing is kind of like the LeBron James effect, where you just can't give him MVP every year. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, what's next? All right, away from Square Enix, um, uh, The Legend of Heroes, Hajimari no Kiseki, which is kind of like the anthology-ish follow-up to the Cold Steel and Crossbell series, will be releasing in Japan on August 22nd, sorry, 27th. Um, Obviously, we just recently got word about the Cold Steel 4 localization uh, and then also had the fan translation for Zero no Kiseki, uh, but there's still plenty of games in this series, and obviously James isn't here to talk about these in detail that are Japan only, and this is basically this year's Falcom release. Um, and Hajimari no Kiseki will have carryover bonuses from not only the Cold Steel series, but from the Kai PS4 releases of the Crossbell games. So it really is kind of like trying to position itself as like the back bookend for 
that whole franchise within the last 10 years or so, maybe not 10 years, maybe like six or seven. Uh, obviously nothing's been announced for the West. We're going to, as we've kind of stated before, we're, it seems like we're going to be perpetually three or so years behind until they start like releasing multiple per year, which we don't know if Falcom has the inclination, not Falcom, Nice America has the inclination to do. Like we don't even know if those Kai PS4 releases are on the table, let alone the originals, or if those are going to just be forever outside of the publishing capability of people like Nice or potentially Xseed or whoever. See, it's weird to me because I quite often think, yeah, I know my games pretty well. Like, and then <laughs> about two of those words in what you've just told me made sense, and that was Cold Steel. So. Maybe I should be paying more attention to stuff like that. Well, it's not well, really... To be fair, the Legend of Heroes series is very weird. Like, there's the Legend of Heroes, and then there's the Legend of Heroes Trails sub-series, which is, it almost became like a persona to SMT, where oh, it's kind I, of actually, just taken yeah, over no, the entire series. And then there's eight total games um, that have been released in English, <laughs> and then there's several... Or no, sorry, I'm, I'm including zeros in there. Only, what, six of them have released in English. And then they were missing some, and they all have different titles. So I can see why it gets confusing unless you're already deep into it. <laughs> well, it feels like it's the last major RPG holdout in terms of... We talked about, like, uh, Trials of Mana, for instance, how that was a Japanese-only game for most of its lifetime until just the last year or so. And then finally we get in English... Uh, and even other series like Final Fantasy is pretty much day and date worldwide by default. Games like even like Tales series has had a short localization window. Um, Persona was only about a half year, which is pretty good for Atlas. Uh, well, things like you know that. What's, you know what's kind of interesting to think about is, so like when Trails of Cold Steel released originally in Japan, it was 2013. So Trails of Cold Steel was seven years ago. At that point in the West, the only Trails game that we had seen at that point was Trails in the Sky on PSP. So it was like already a well-established series in Japan, and we had just one game, and it was like a PSP-exclusive game. And then I think, I don't remember when Trails in the Sky first got brought to PC. It was brought to PC way later. Second chapter was brought out to the West in 2015, and basically everything in the West has come since then. So it really hasn't been that long. It's just... We're playing catch-up is what it is. <laughs> yeah, but to George's point, this is like the one remaining fairly big. I might be I might be having it under magnifying glass, but uh, <laughs> rele relevant to our site coverage anyway, series, where we, we see updates to these games, but we, we obviously have, you know, people who play, import the Japanese games on our staff who play through some of these or have like, we, like, like the import impressions we put up to Persona Scramble, for instance. But like obviously our website is for an English speaking audience. So sometimes this is the one series that we kind of have to be careful in how we cover it. Like if if this series had day and date or, or very short turnarounds in terms of English releases, I think we'd be able to go a little bit harder in how we cover it. But now it's just kind of like we'll cover when these games are announced and then they're like their release dates in Japan. So people can like import it or if they or if they live in Japan or, or in Asia, they can play it. Uh but outside of that, it's like, well, this this game follows up on three games. Like this Hajimari no Kaseki 
implement story elements, presumably from three games that haven't released in English yet. The, the, the two, well, the Crossbell one has the, has a fan translation. So it just makes it very difficult to cover. And like for most of us, it's like, well, we'll care about this in four <laughs> years times when we're caught up. And then there'll be three other releases that uh, since, since now till then. So it's just, it's just a very unique situation that I don't think any other series really compares to in terms of how we have to cover it and things like that. That's really all we can say about it. It's coming out in Japan in August. For anyone who is caught up with all the games in the series, there you go. This seems to really kind of be a bookend for what the series has done in like the last seven years, like you said. Since Well, actually, if Cold Steel 1 was seven years ago, then the um, Crossbow games would have been more like 10. So th then what's after this? If this is supposed to be the kind of the, the wrapping up of that end, wh where does it go from here? Uh, I guess only real, we would have to get James on to really see if he would have any idea about that sort of direction for this series. All right, a few other details that we didn't cover on our site, but are kind of relevant to um, RPGs in general. Uh, back to Sony's side, there are there have been some rumors published from BGC about Horizon Zero Dawn. So this was in the news a couple um, months or so ago about its PC release impending or whatever. But obviously, there's rumors about the you know the upcoming console generation. What is Guerrilla Games and working on? And supposedly, there's a Horizon Zero Dawn sequel details out in the wild. We didn't report on these because a lot of these rumors are kind of like, well, of course they're working on a sequel. Like, did you know they're also working on Final Fantasy 16? I bet they are. But there are a few <laughs> little nuggets of information in here that are kind of interesting. Like for instance, there's uh, there's talk about how it's going to implement a cooperative mode. They don't know if it's going to be part of the series, uh, like the main story or like some separate online mode, but that's apparently going to be like a cornerstone of the sequel. And apparently it's being planned as a trilogy. And obviously Horizon Zero Dawn was like a visual showcase for the PS4. So we can assume that any sort of sequel would be a visual showcase for the PS5. And now there's going to be questions about, well, will it be slated for PC if not at launch at some point after? Things like that. Obviously, it's all rumor at this point, but it's the sort of rumor that I don't think anyone would be surprised to see. And I think it's kind of what we all expected. You guys I haven't think played Horizon Zero Dawn for PS5. Do I think it'll be a launch title? So Horizon Zero Dawn released in 2017, and it sold really well immediately. And I, don't, I think people expected that, yes, the next thing Guerrilla's going to work on is a sequel, especially because that game has a big sequel tease right at the end. So... I think the I think the expectation that a Horizon Zero Dawn two would be a launch an early PS five title you know three or four years later wasn't that out there you know like mm. uh, obviously the first game took many many years to make and three or four years later if a lot of the art assets are in place but they have to you know upscale it to the PS five hardware and and whatnot maybe three or four years later two thousand twenty one or something if a if a sequel comes out that's about when I would have expected it. Yeah, I think it will be sort of their showcase game. Personally, have you guys played it? I played it, yeah. Did you think? I have not. I think it has a really interesting combat system that not a lot of games have, and that it's focused on like range and traps and things like that. Uh, if you play Horizon Zero Dawn like a melee game, you're gonna it's gonna suck because it's not really built for that. Um, but I, I think it has a really interesting take on the combat. Now, if you just hate like 
setting traps and attacking with a bow and things like that. Maybe it's not for you, but and I think the story is just kind of okay. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's just okay. But it looks great. I'll say that. Yeah. I'm looking forward uh, to playing out of on PC. All of the first party games that Sony have, besides Days Gone, which I think is, is just middling, Horizon is the only one that I haven't fallen in love with. And I don't know whether it's just my expectations are a bit off. I think I've mentioned this in a podcast before because I feel like I've said it, but it, I, it just didn't click with me. I heard such amazing things about it. And looking back, I think it's because Breath of the Wild released very, very closely to it. That is one of the best games I've ever played in my life. So it's like to go from that, which basically had me, oh my god, games can do this. This this cooking system's amazing. This climbing system is groundbreaking in my eyes. And then to go to, yeah, this is just like pretty well made and good. It just kind of put me off, I guess. So I need to go back and revisit that. Really, I'm planning on playing the PC release. And from an outsider's perspective, it's weird. I hear Horizon Zero Dawn, Dawn, how Aloy is like the best character ever or how she's awful and like terrible. And I think that's just the internet in general. Of course, people are really going to spout out their tens and zeros before they give a nuanced take. So I'm really interested to play it for myself to see like, all right, like obviously I want to form my own opinion. So that's, I'm, I'm interested in, I, I didn't have a PS4 when I first, I didn't have a PS4 until just earlier this year, admittedly, or sorry, late last year because I played um, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, but, you have to play Uncharted so, to recommend before Horizon. Uncharted oh, is I, I, I've played, yeah, I've played one through three, but I haven't played four. Um, oh, four's the best one. But yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn, it's getting a sequel. Like, well, I guess it's still not confirmed. It's still rumors at this point, but I don't think anyone's really surprised by that. But there are a few details floating out. Uh, the idea of a cooperative, I always like the idea of cooperative Western style. I know Sony's a Japanese country company but uh i would consider horizons like design ethos to seemingly be more western maybe i should shut up because i haven't actually played it but the fact <laughs> no, that it's like an right open world well. things like that yeah you are and then right. obviously like yeah but it's that's the sort of thing where it's like i, I mean, easily specific, see horizon is developed by gorilla games in amsterdam yeah, true. so it's it's a dutch game there you go but yeah, like I can already see pe pulling people from uh, like a PC gaming space, like a PC Discord or whatever, who wanna who wanna play it, who are late to the party alongside me, so that they don't have any preconceptions either. I could already see that happening. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I I wish it was the new Crash Bandicoot that was being rumored right now. That'd well, be, there's be been rumors. Yeah, there's been rumors about that too. So we'll have to see. Ooh. Speaking about PC gaming, uh, this is just kind of a bit of a footnote, but uh, PC Gamer, who has hosted the PC gaming show for the last several years at E3, have basically announced that they're going to do an online version of the show this year, which seems to be a trend because we already saw IGN say it. I believe Games Radar also within the last week has said they're going to do some online stuff. So it's really up. It seems like not everyone, but several people are trying to get their like their their piece of the pie in terms of the summer gaming event i feel yeah. like my inclination is to think that ign might be the only one that would be truly successful just because they have the size and the clout and the audience but obviously yeah. pc gamers obviously always hosted the pc gaming show so they should see a level of success too 
the funny thing, thing to see the PC like, gaming show for those of us who attended last year, like the on-site gaming show was not great. <laughs> they so, held it in the Mayan Theater in LA, and like the screen there was just kind of terrible, and like it was just kind of a an awkward sort of event. It was fine, but it wasn't necessarily great. And so if they're just doing like an online stream instead, that might just be better. Well, the PC gaming shows always kind of had this space or really early on when their first couple of years, I remember it being like super deluged in like ads and like sponsored by PC gamer and AMD and buyer new monitors Samsung and shit like that. Monitors, yeah. And there's, there's still, there's still a, a bit of that. Cause I think that's just the territory. Like that's, the, that's just how it is. But I feel like it's been on an upward trajectory because last year they had some really interesting stuff in terms of Vampire of the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. They did the debut trailer for that indie game, Chris Tales, which I think looks pretty neat. Um, so I think there is reasons to tune in, even for RPG fans that aren't like PC-focused gamers. But it'll be interesting to see if they keep that momentum to, through a 2020 online version of their show. All right, the last topic here is one that I really wasn't interested in originally, but I've kind of become more involved, invested in is that the mobile game Trails of Crestoria will, is set to release in early June with an open beta test set for May. Now, there's been a few mobile Tales projects, like Tales of the Rays, and I'll be honest, I haven't really been kept track of what released when and what shut down and what stayed up. Uh, but the, the interesting thing to me about this Tales of Crestoria is that it's a turn-based game. You look at like UI and it almost looks like you're playing to pull it back up again, Final Fantasy X or something. And like, <laughs> and obviously this is a Tales series obviously has been pretty much action, you know, real time since its inception. So when I look at this tail, uh, this Tales game being turn-based, it almost feels like more interesting than it should be. Like some people might think, oh, turn-based isn't that interesting on its own. But the fact that it's an IP that has not married to turn-based at all, at least to my knowledge, it almost makes me more interested, even though I might not have a good reason to be. But then I just wonder to what extent this as a mobile game is going to have a burden of gotcha elements. There it is. Like that's like the elephant in the room. Like, are there going to be certain characters that are way more powerful than others, but are super hard to get and you have to dump a lot of money to get into or time? I don't, I haven't really read up enough to really know to what extent that's going to be implemented. But just in general, the idea of a turn-based Tales game I actually think is really interesting. See, the, I cannot get on with turn-based games. It is really, it, yeah. It's, I'm interested it's, in it's Yakuza like, Seven for the same reason. Although, yeah, no, actually, we. I think again, I think I've said this before um, because it's one of those things I recognize me saying. I can get on with turn-based if there's sort of a gimmick to it, or if it's like quite unique. So, I, and I hate that this is my default example, but the South Park games. Uh, were turn based and they did it in quite a cool way where the second one it was based on a grid and all the attacks are weird and it's all sprinkled in with South Park jokes. So I could get on with that. But if it's just like Final Fantasy Seven or most of the Final Fantasies, I just I, it just does not click with me. I've always had an affinity for turn based. I just like how abstract it can get and how you can change up how how basically how, how actions are decided. Is it from a menu? Is it uh, decided in rounds? Do enemy and player turns alternate? Or is it more phase-based? I just feel like there's a lot of willy, a lot of neat permutations that you can do. But I'm, I'm one where I also really, really, really enjoy the Final Fantasy VII Remake gameplay. So I, I just, I kind of, I don't want to say I don't have a preference. 
because I think I think I do prefer turn-based more, but I, I I can really get along with both. I said this last week. I think where the thing about turn-based that I think actually kind of clicks with me is that you cannot dodge. In an action game, as long as you can dodge, you can win. In a turn-based game, you cannot dodge. And so you kind of have to counter in other ways. I think that might be a simple way of putting it, but sure, I that... think that that um, is how I look at it. But similarly, though, how George doesn't get on with turn-based, the fact that Trails of Crystoria is a free-to-play mobile game, that alone, I just I ignore it. I don't care. Like, if, if, if gameplay is going to have any function of it that's just basically decided by luck of the draw, like daily pull here and get your certain characters or weapons and you might get a really good one, you might get a really bad one, and you better just keep try- trying and hope you get the good one eventually. That whole gotcha element to me is just like, I don't want to mess with this. This just seems tedious. And yeah. so I, I don't care anything else about the game. That, sorry, just I just can't care. Well, I, I think that's that's not a unique... I'm not saying this to put you down, but I think a lot of people feel that way. So that's not, that's, 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 that's not, shut, that's, shut I up, think it's valid. Everyone else feels like that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, see, I, mean I know of... a lot of people play like Grand Blue Fantasy or Dragalia Lost or Fire Emblem Heroes. And like, I like Fire Emblem games and Fire Emblem Heroes gameplay might be fine, but it's just like the fact that you have to like, there's events and banners and yeah, just luck of the draw and hope, hope, hope you logged in at this time to get this character that is really good, yeah. or else you're out of luck. That that whole is just, uh, yeah. I think That's it's valid. a specific crowd, and I think you have to like the IP as well for most of them. Like, for example, Kingdom Hearts. Sorry, you gonna be? Are you, are you gonna play that uh, Dark Dawn or whatever it's called? Dark Path, whatever it's called. Dark Road. <laughs> if, Road. If we decide to make it. That I should play it so I can talk about it, then I might force myself to. But if not, oh. then I can't see it. Well, there's story elements, but I don't know. I, I feel like they're. It's not even forcing it because there are interesting stories there, but don't tell it. I know they, they brought in that mobile game into Kingdom Hearts 3 at the, at the end. And me, I, I think is I can spoil this now. There's a part at the end where like all the Keyblade Warriors from the mobile game like help out and form like a Keyblade tornado. And like, I don't really know what's going on here, but whatever. That was a cool moment. Just enjoy the but like, sure. So much that, whatever. Uh, so much of that game's end story requires like knowledge of mobile events. And oh yeah, that that too. Like, I I watched the movie that was included with two point five, uh, and so 2. like 8. I kind of or two point eight, and um. So like, okay, there's like these original masters and Lushu and something, something, and I don't want to get into Kingdom Hearts lore now. It's like, oh, okay, so they're pulling that back in <laughs> and Kingdom tangent. Hearts 3 at the end. <sighs> well, whatever, yeah, whatever. It's sort of exhausting. Try try having it on your brain, like, most of the day. That sounds obsessive. Other, we know what I mean. What other footnote is that uh, this Tales of Crestoria, we were actually talking about Tales games getting better. We haven't had a release since Bizaria, not really. Um, about having shorter turnaround times, but I guess this Crestoria is actually going to also be the first worldwide release for the series. So I just thought that was yep. an interesting footnote because we talked about that start. in context. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that in the context of the uh, Falcom titles not being worldwide releases or even close. So even Tails is there now, technically. I'm surprised and no one else speaking, has. This kind of speaking of Tails, like Arise is. I was I actually going to say, should we bring that up? 
Well, we last saw it at TGS. It had a trailer, not really a big one, just kind of a quick trailer that sort of teased like one new character, not even fully showed them. It, I think Arise was announced at E3 last year, right? Um, and then or it was leaked before, then announced. Then they had like a TGS kind of follow-up trailer and nothing since. So it's been a good eight months since we've seen it. Uh, who knows? We've talked about this before. Well, but like, worldwide. Um, Berseria, which came out in 2016 in Japan, I feel like from, from uh, first of all, George, have you played any of the Tales games at all? No, um, no, I didn't. But like every single Tales game from Dawn of the New World to Bazaria kind of all felt sort of samey. Like there, there was differences, of course, and, you know, some are way better than others. But like they've kind of felt like they're all just kind of like the same structure, just kind of plastered onto different characters and stories. Where Arise kind of feels like this is actually something new and different, finally, and technically will be the first game, Tales game of this generation, because Berseria was a PS3 game in Japan. So I, I'm not super surprised it's taking a while, because it's kind of felt like they finally, like, all right, we have to do something new now, finally, like brand new. So it, they, they kind of kind of disrupted their usual yearly releases that they that they once did. And then it'll release, and we'll be in a new paradigm of yearly Tales games. Maybe. We'll see. Well, that's pretty much it for this podcast. It's been very Trials and Mana focused, which obviously you two are going to keep plugging away at. And then a bunch of just kind of a, a scattershot of what I've been playing and a few of the new stories from the month. So any other really final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, This... I don't know how interested you two are going to be to talk about this, but did you guys, or you've definitely seen about it, the Fortnite Astronomical event? I've heard about it. Did you see and that? That's just, that's just crazy to me. Just I, I have no interest in Fortnite, like, but the, all they all had I a concert. Fortnite Astronomical. Go ahead. Uh, all I know about Fortnite Astronomical is that there's something called Fortnite Astronomical. <laughs> It is incredible. Uh, it was. I was at the. Basically, do you know who Travis Scott is? The no, name rings a bell. He's he's a he's a rapper, and he is like he's really good. Um, I I'm I'm not massively into rappers. Like it's it's not really my sort of music. But there are a few that I like, and he he is one of them. Um, and. Fortnite do these things where they team up with artists or films or whatever's hot and they do like a live event sort of thing so you can log in and it'll, it'll be usually be like a, a special theme and then you'll get like an item or two and they did one for a DJ called Marshmallow which I didn't go to but didn't seem super exciting people weren't really talking about it at all then they did this one for Travis Scott and I've been using Fortnite as a sort of way to connect with my best friend who lives in Wales while we're on this lockdown so we'll go on that and play a bit and he really likes travis scott They're like okay we'll we'll log on we'll see what this is like if, if it's crap we can just talk over it if it's good then no just a bonus and we went on and it was incredible like the work they put in he debuted a whole new song it's like just this it's, it's so hard to describe but he was like there as an avatar and he became massive and he was stomping around to the music like you, you just have to watch it I, I, words won't do it justice but I wanted to talk about it because it's this idea that 
Fortnite is obviously still one of the biggest things in gaming. So all of these people seeing what this interactive online world can do, I think is really cool. It just opens up a bunch sometimes, of possibilities. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind, at least for me, the scale of it. Like 12 million people attended this. If every single person in the world logged in to Final Fantasy VII Remake right now, I know it's not an online game, but if everyone was playing it at the same time, like in a big communal room, that would be less than half of the number of people that attended this Travis Scott event. That's just crazy. Yeah, exactly. it kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me like of the potential like that Sony saw in what was it called? Like their PlayStation Second. Online Home Second Second PlayStation Home. Yeah, where they, I remember they would do things. They, they were more like for like conferences and whatnot. But like, hey, you can watch this thing with other people online through PlayStation Home. Um, and now it's instead of PlayStation Home, it's just like now you can watch this concert by Travis Scott and where he'll debut a brand new song online through Fortnite, which is a usually a game, you know, that you play, but now it's actually just like a virtual audience. So it's kinda kinda interesting in a way that I would Fortnite kinda has become a has become a proxy for just like a virtual space. It's it's more like a saying it's a platform. No, in fact I would say it is a platform. I would say that Fortnite is so universal now and you could get it on everything like you can get it on your switch you can get it on your ps4 you can get it on your xbox you can get it on pc you can all play together like imagine if it was i can't even think of a, a good example now but that is so interesting to me that it can get that sort of audience travis scott is quite well known he's he's quite a big Rap Sorry person. that I didn't know him. I'm just not into rap at all. So it's like I had heard of him, but I couldn't tell you who he was or what he looked did, like um, or any of his songs. <laughs> sicko mode, which you might know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll breeze past it, but he he's quite well known, and so that could that obviously does affect the viewership. But what they do next is going to be so interesting. And I will want to talk about it. <laughs> now it's cool to see that perspective because. We do have plenty of people on staff that do play Fortnite. Like I think of a seed house also does, even though I don't know if he's done it recently. Um, I wonder when there, there'll be a, an online RPG space that will have anything even approaching that. Probably never, huh? I can dream though. How, how many people does Final Fantasy 14 have of interest? They don't really, they, they are, they get really tricky in the way they word it. Like I think currently in their press releases, excuse me, uh, Square Enix kind of says like how many accounts have made for Final Fantasy fourteen in total ever rather than how many are like, yeah. currently. And that active. includes like trials and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. So it, it's really hard to see through the weeds like how many people uh, actually okay. are playing this right now. I think Tony Garso, who is a friend of the site who contributes to Nova Crystallis, he was saying that he believes based on some data and some digging that the current number of active accounts is right around a million, which to me actually seems kind of low. But it all it always depends on like yeah, the methodology. What's in, what, what's what's an active account? How did you even get the data in the first place? You have to make a few assumptions. But I also feel like a lot of people for Final Fantasy fourteen, they will like resub for a month or two when the expansions hit, play through the content, and then drop sort of thing. So, but still, if at, if at best, let's 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 give them a little bit of a margin of error. Let's say the number of active accounts on Final Fantasy XIV is actually way better than Tony thought, and it's actually like three million. That's still, you know, a fraction of Fortnite. Yeah, and that's even just like for the first concert. 
that was for me that was at midnight and that was sort of a irresponsible thing to do to stay up that late just for the concert like i'd love to know the numbers overall it's just so cool it does make you wonder if there'll ever be an online rpg space that deliberately tries to do that that uh sort of model where they release on console they release on pc they release on mobile which i think would be the key key to really get those numbers up uh because I there was there was plans apparently at one point to put Final Fantasy XI on a mobile platform, but obviously Final Fantasy XI, just from the the fact that it's Final Fantasy XI and it's you know it's a it's a I don't want to say it's a has been, but it's a well known established thing already. It's it's kind of it's been it's it's already hit its ceiling. But you wonder if a new Final Fantasy or other online project that deliberately is made with mobile in mind, how high it could possibly shoot. It sounds like you're going to wait for Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, I'm going to wait for Final Fantasy 16, which will be an online mobile game, and it's going to have millions of players. There you go. All right, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this edition of the TetraCast. A bit of a scattershot one, but uh, we'll take it because that's just what we've done over the last week. But plenty of talk about Trials of Mana, plenty of talk about other games, anything of interest, both on the Japanese side and on the Western side. Uh, you can follow us for all the uh, reviews for Fallout, for Trials of Mana, and even a nice feature on Final Fantasy VII that George put up uh, at RPGSite.net. And obviously we do also have like a bunch of guides for Persona and Final Fantasy VII for those still playing through those. You can follow us on Twitter at RPGSite. Uh, you can join us in our Discord from a link on our homepage. You can follow us on YouTube or Facebook at RPGSiteNet. If you want, you can follow me at Zeo Masakot on Twitter, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. I've been mostly just posting a lot of Final Fantasy X images recently. Um, George, where can they find you? So all of my social medias, uh, including Twitter and Instagram, are at G-E-P-U-G-G. And if you want to hear me talk about Kingdom Hearts, it will almost definitely be, then just give me a follow. Follow him on Instagram. And Sita, or Adam, where can they find you? K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. All right, and that's the cast for this week, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Bye, guys.